Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office, powered by Brain Fuel, here for the Sports ETA series, episode two with David Gilbert, president and CEO of the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission, and Aubrey Walton, uh, director of strategy and planning for NFL events, and excited to talk a little bit about the NFL draft that happened in Cleveland, um, obviously in person this year, uh, as opposed to virtually the year before, um, kind of what what went on behind it, but then also a little bit about David and Aubrey's career paths, um, what led them to this experience and what do they do with it now? So David, Aubrey, welcome. Thank you for having us. So let's just start off with a David, how do you work on bringing an NFL draft to your city? I mean, that's, there sounds, there's probably a lot of complexities to that. Uh, Obviously there's not only the location component, but also um, there's plenty of other cities that I'm sure would love to have it as well. Um, first, you just have to suck up to Aubrey. So that's, you know, we'll get that part <laughs> out of the way. Um, you know, it's, it's um, I think how we approach the, the biggest events that we try to, to have hosted in Cleveland, like the draft to the smallest, we, we look at our job as uh, if we're gonna win this competition, uh, and, and all of these are highly competitive. Um, how, how do we show that we um, are going to make the event better in Cleveland than it might be somewhere else? And, and, and we try to look at with any event in the organizations behind it, whether it's the NFL, the NCAA, Olympic governing bodies or others, how do they define success of that event? And, and, and we try to uh, 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 to make sure that we, we, can, we can show to all the best of our ability that we are going to be able to do that, that we are going to be able to deliver, that our organization, our community can bring the different resources to bear to, to allow that to happen. And we, we feel that if we can do that, um, we, we have the, the best chance we possibly can to have, have that organization ultimately choose Cleveland. And it's not just, hey, the draft's happening, it's three days, we need some sort of stage and a location and, and some space around the city. I mean, there's a lot more to it. There's events to it. There's the TV component. Um, Aubrey, what goes into hosting an, an NFL draft and what does that city ultimately need to have? I mean, hey, hotel rooms are a big piece of it. Um, you know, that obviously drives from, you know, from an economic impact standpoint, but what's kind of the quote unquote checklist that you might have to go through? Yeah, that is a loaded question. (laughs) Um, To start, I mean, David hit on it, but when we look at what cities we want to host our NFL temple events, specifically the draft, we are looking at the uniqueness of the city and what they can bring to the event. So in terms of Cleveland, We were looking at, of course, hotel room blocks are a major part of the event because we bring so many staff, but also vendors, partners, fans to the event. 
So a city has to be able to have that hotel infrastructure to be able to host us. We then look at all the different venues that a city has to offer. So we have, in a normal non-COVID world, we have many one-off uh, events that we have at draft, not just the actual draft main stage where the broadcast happens. So we look at what are those unique venues that we can tap into to host our events. Um, obviously we look at finances. So what is a city's fundraising plan? Do they have a state fund that they can tap into? What are their relationships with sponsors and other partners? What does their private sector look like? All these different XYZ fill in the blank type ways to fundraise, we have to look at that. Um, we also look at the reputation of a city. So not only Cleveland as a general city in the country, but also David's team. So what is the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission Destination Cleveland represent? Who are their people? Are they well-respected? Do they get things done? Um, the answer to that is absolutely yes, <laughs> um, or else we wouldn't have had a successful draft like we've had. So, um, I mean, there's there's a ton that I haven't even hit on that we look at, but I'd say those are probably the top things when we're going through the bid process that we look at and have to check off and, and have all those necessary conversations before we award the event to a city. David, obviously similar to other, you know, maybe one-time events, how do you set that up so that you know, when it is successful and not if, you know, you kind of have the grounds to be welcomed back in a sense, um, you know, for years down the road, obviously the Aubrey, my, my next question to you is how, how far, you know, down the road are you planning and what, you know, what sites do you kind of focus on um, how many years out and so on? You know, I think that um, the, the, the world we, we, live in or the sandbox we play in is, is overall fairly small. I mean, if you look at the, the major events world, you have, again, big organizations, the Olympic governing bodies, the NCAA, you have, you know, certainly your sports leagues. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, there are certainly some others, a lot of organizations that may own one or two events, but it's a fairly small universe. And you also have people that move around uh, uh, within that universe. And so I do think that the success in hosting events tends to lead to others and, 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 you know, takes time to build. We get often asked, you know, so, you know, what's, what's, the, how do you define success? Is it, if you get X events, if Cleveland were ever to host the Olympics, which we're not, um, you know, you'd have to know your limitations, you know, is that how you define success? And for us, it's not, it's about how do you, how do you continually stay as one of the best cities in the country for hosting major events. And, and a lot of that takes uh, um, just time. I, I know that we hosted MLB All-Star Game. And during that time, Aubrey and her team came in to, to watch. And even though we had already been afforded, awarded the draft, it was good for them to see our team in action, how we interface with MLB. During, during the draft, we had a big team in from the NBA because next year we're hosting NBA All-Star Game. And again, yes, we were awarded the event already, but they really want to see in action what we were doing, how, you know, and it, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, you know, Aubrey and, and the team from the NBA ultimately talk and talk about experiences. And, and so I think that, that it really is, is critical to not just say, oh, I, 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 we, we were awarded the event check, 
it, it's, it really is about how you perform. And we care just as much about the NFL saying yes to Cleveland as we care about what they say after they've left Cleveland. Aubrey, how long, how long are you looking? We, in episode one, uh, if, if you're listening to this episode one, at the very end, we kind of teed up. Uh, I asked Ryan Vaughn and, and Eric Newberger, I said, hey, uh, if you could have an event that you've never had before, what would you have? And they go, well, you know, hey, having the NFL draft along with the combine would be pretty cool. So I, I hope I'm not teeing up anything or giving anything away, but how long are you looking at events uh, ahead, of, ahead of time, Aubrey? First of all, I love that. The draft is my favorite event, so I love when people want it. <laughs> um, I would say, also to, just to hit on that last point, the last time we went out with expressions of interest to all of our 32 NFL clubs and cities, we had 22 of 32 cities interested. So in saying that, there's a ton of interest in the draft. Um, the second part of that is we are still constantly reimagining the draft. So every single year, there's major change to it. There is not a set way to do it like we do with Super Bowl, I would say, in comparison. So we're currently planning for about three years out with the awarding of host cities. So in 2022, we have Las Vegas, who was supposed to originally host in 2020, but due to the pandemic, we had to go virtual. So now they're hosting in 2022. We have Kansas City in 2023. And then we are in the middle of a bid process for 2024 draft. So that hits the three-year out mark. And we're going to go out again this summer with further expressions of interest to see if that 22 number stays the same or we could see it even going higher based on the um, most recent success of drafts and the various cities that have hosted. So um, try and plan for about three years out for draft as of right now until we kind of hit that model that we're, we're willing to settle on to get a little further out. David, one would ask, you know, hey, what's your favorite part of hosting a big event like that? but that's an easy answer for you. So what's the hardest part or worst part about hosting an event of that caliber and that size? You know, it's um, the bigger the event, the bigger the opportunity, but also, you know, mistakes are on a big stage. So, uh, so you want to, to do it well. You know, we, there are 40 million viewers of the draft on different NFL platforms. Um, and, and we want our community to show its best. And, um, you know, if there are mistakes, it may reflect on the NFL. It also re reflects on the host city. And uh, um, so um, you just, you know, you, you and it, look, at some point with major events, there, there is a point where, you know, someone mentioned, said to me once, you know, with major events, a point like you're falling off a cliff, you just hope for a soft landing. There's nothing more you could do. You've planned every, every way you can. You try to make sure small issues don't become big issues and you set up all the systems. And, uh, um, but, but it's, um, you know, thankfully I would say with, with this, particularly, you know, given it was done in a, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, it turned out awfully well. There's never an event that happens that doesn't have a good fun story to it. Like after the fact, right. I mean, there's, there's always something, um, you know, Aubrey, from a career perspective as, as both of you, you know, obviously David's in the sports commission side of things, you know, you being on the NFL side of things. How do you get to a point 
like this, you know, where, where you have this obviously endeavor of, of kind of strategizing around the draft and planning these types of events? Like, how do you, how'd you get into the event world? Well, I think mine and David's common denominator is that I also came from a sports commission. So sports commission's the answer. <laughs> um, no, that's not the answer, but that's a, of course where we both started. Well, but, but if you, you know, if you talk, look, if you look, if you talk to many students in sports management programs, right, the first yes. career, the, you know, if you say, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? Or what's, right. what's the ideal first job? The sports commission answer is rarely in that, right. in that pool of answers, not because they wouldn't want to do it because they just don't know, right? So what do they need to That's know? That's absolutely about, correct. What do they need to know about sports commissions, the opportunities it provides and so on yeah. for, for students to be able to see that it's a real viable opportunity and also other professionals, right? To wherever they work right now to go, hey, I could go work for a sports commission and it provides this experience. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I was one of those people that had never even heard of a sports commission until I moved to LA or got the job and then moved to LA. Um, I started my career at the Los Angeles Sports and Entertainment Commission. And when I was younger, I remember it was seventh grade specifically, um, I was watching the Grammy Awards and I was like, oh my gosh, how cool would that be to work red carpets and do entertainment events? So I just, continued to research what five years later as I'm entering college and came across sports commissions at that point. And so that's kind of just out of pure curiosity of seeing an event and wondering who's behind it. Um, that's where I first introduced myself to what a sports commission does. And then from there, when I got the job in LA, that's kind of where I started to understand these sports commissions in these cities literally do everything. Any major citywide event, sports, entertainment, boat shows, whatever it is, they are behind them. They're the ones responsible for bringing those events to the city. They're the ones responsible for filling all the hotels, for filling all the venues, for communicating with the communities, like building transportation plans, doing decor, I could go on and on people don't realize how a major city has this backbone of a sports commission there and how they are responsible for the success of bringing events to a city. So, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of what sports commissions and CVBs do. It's, it's astronomical and it also varies by city on what types of events a city hosts. So in LA, I got to experience everything entertainment with all the award shows. And then also on the sports side doing, like David said, NBA All-Star, drafts that wanted to come there, future Super Bowls, X Games, Pac-12 championships, you name it, we were introduced to it. So I think a sports commission is a unique pathway to the sports industry. And then because sports commissions work with every single league, every single um, one-off event that, that comes there, they have every contact in the sports industry that you could want. People don't realize that. Yeah. David, when you think about what makes someone successful at a sports commission, right, regardless of what city, 
you know, now so many people specialize in something, right? There's, there's, they specialize in analytics, they specialize in events, they specialize in partnerships, whatever it might be. But in your world, it's kind of the jack of all trades that could potentially be most successful. How, how do you go about forming a team that then makes it all happen as Aubrey was talking about? Yeah, I think that, that um, one, some depends on the size of your organization. You know, so the, 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 we're fortunate to be a larger sports commission, so we can have some people that do specialize in particular areas. But I, I think for us, what we really look at as a, as a common denominator are people who are passionate for what they do. And I think what's interesting with sports commissions is it's not just passion for sports, it's passion for community. And, 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 and I, I personally feel so lucky that I get to work in something that is the confluence of two things that are you know, probably outside of my family, my two biggest passions in Cleveland and sports. And, and it's, it's amazing to do something where uh, um, you get to use sports to advance your community. And so I think that, that um, it doesn't mean, you know, that Aubrey, she's not from LA. It didn't mean that she needed to be from LA to be great, but she certainly had to have an understanding and, and an appreciation that what she brought to the table wasn't just about sports. It was about building that city and advancing that city. And, um, uh, and, and so I think that, that for us, um, it is, again, you have to find people with really good skill, but all being equal, when you really have a passion and you come to work every day, you know, with your heart in it, not just your head, you're going to be more successful. It's one of those things where, you know, sports, obviously it's not, we've all learned that sports is not everything, that, that there's life without sports, right? But sports can certainly build a community and help be kind of a, a vehicle to drive you know, the fostering of community um, and gathering people around, you know, certain events for a common cause. And I think that's, you know, majority of the reason why a lot of us work in the industry, right, is you, you get to be able to have an impact of that caliber or of that level, regardless of where you are. I want to, I want to um, dive into our, our brain fuel segment, because you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into the day to day, right, and, and certainly can be a grind um, but if you could have the brain of Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Kamala Harris, or Michelle Obama for one day, who would you pick? Boy, that's, 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 that's a tough, tough one. And I realize there's no hometown favorites <laughs> in this episode. So who do you got? Wait, say it again. Elon, Bill, Kamala, and or who? Michelle, Michelle Obama. Oh, man. Here's, um, I would say, and it's only for one day. Yeah, one day, or it's TBD. You've got someone else on your mind. No, the thing I like about, to me, I would want every day to be like Michelle Obama because you know I've read her book. I've watched. She's so compassionate, and I and I just I admire that so much. What where I could say one day would be Elon Musk because he is thinking so visionary and so far ahead. I'd love to see for one day just take a scratch pad. I probably have so many ideas that when I get back to Michelle Obama thinking or, or <laughs> others, I could put them into practice. Love it. Aubrey, what you got? I would say my initial gut was almost the same. 
um, Elon because he has every single um, talent that I probably don't. So I'd be interested to learn more about his technical, mathematical, scientific side that I'm not good at. Um, Michelle, mostly because of exactly what David said, her compassion and, and her ability to connect with people. Uh, that's what I look for in my life and in my professional career is how do you connect with people? You can be taught any hard skill, but if you don't have the people skills and the relationship building skills that you need to have to succeed, then you're not gonna go anywhere. So. Uh, Aubrey, we'll start with you on this one. Um, how do you mentally prepare for your day regardless of what day it is. And then separately, how do you prepare for a day when you have a large event that's just about to happen? Is it any different? <laughs> I would say it's, it's probably not a whole lot of difference between the two. And I say that because, I mean, you're using your day-to-day -to, -day to practice and plan to lead up to that big day. So when you get to the big day, it's like your hard work is done. You're just now activating on your hard work. So I try and my, I mean, my, my normal day-to-day -day is really make sure I'm, I'm up at least an hour before I start my first meeting, just to be able to make sure that my brain is moving. I'm physically moving. I have breakfast. I make sure I'm, I'm good. Sometimes I work out, sometimes I don't. Um, <laughs> start my whole day of meetings. And then I use like an hour at the end of the day to catch up on emails. And then, I mean, you're in this industry and at this level, you're constantly thinking about the events that you're planning, the million details that you have to be responsible for, the people you're connecting each other to, making sure all their plans are advancing. It's, it's never like you're never turning off, which is a pro and a con in this industry. But in this example, you're never turning off. So you're constantly thinking about that end result of being on site, being at day one of the draft, getting up early, doing that same exact routine to make sure that you have a successful first day. David, how do you get how do you get in the zone when you've got that big event? How do you mentally prepare? You know, I, I have to say, I do have to say with Aubrey, it, 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 when that time comes, you're just on adrenaline, and and if if you haven't prepared, you're screwed. At that point, you better have prepared, and and it's just. It's, it's just execution. Um, and I agree. I don't know if there's a difference in, you know, I, I'm a lot like Aubrey that day in and day out, I'm a very early person. And usually once, whatever time, 7.30, 8.30, the first meeting starts, I would say till the end of the day, my days tend to be nothing but reaction. It's either meetings, lots of meetings, or responding to emails, responding to calls, and I don't have proactive work time. So my early day is proactive, sort of get rid of mental clutter. If I've got little to-do lists, you know, you get an hour and a half, two hours early, you can whip off tons of emails and things you have to do. And so that when the reactive part of the day comes, you, you, can, you can have exhaled a little bit already. And, and, and I think it's somewhat similar with events. Yeah, I'm going to fire one back at you because we were talking about this before we recorded. So working from home allows for that extra time to do those types of things, to be productive. So if I asked you, hey, what's your secret to productivity? You might say working from home now. <laughs> it, it is no, absolutely no doubt, Jake, it's made it easier to do that just because you take away commute time. 
I mean, that, that, you know, it's, it's either less sleep or less, you know, less of the, um, you know, I, I will say, I, I mean, again, I'm trying to figure out how to get, get back to it. I have really enjoyed getting up, working out at home, getting a cup of coffee, sitting at my desk at home. I used to do that at work. I get in the, you know, be in the office at whatever, six, six first one there, hang out. I think I may just start doing that at home, still get in the office, but getting my, you know, it's almost a little more relaxing at home. You're at your own space. And uh, I'm going to try to incorporate that more, even, even if I'm at the end of that, a little later driving in the office. Aubrey, what's your secret to productivity? Lots of lists and post-it notes. <laughs> um, I, would, I would also play on the work from home piece. Um, David mentioned the commute time. And I think that is key to where you're adding that extra hour, two hours to your working day. So you're getting more done. And then you can, in my case, go downstairs, have dinner with my family, go on a bike ride, play with the dog, eat ice cream on the front porch. Like whatever you choose to do, you, you get an extra two, three hours out of your day just by working from home, which however you define product, productivity, um, that extra time plays into it. And I think that's key. Last question for you as we wrap up, what's the most important aspect of the mental side of working in the sports business and entertainment industry? David, we'll start with you. Um, I, I feel like it's important to understand you're not a fan. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's amazing to work in something that you love and are passionate about. But when you're doing this, you're not a fan. You know, I people, oh, who'd you get to meet with the draft? Nobody. And nor did I, you know, I got to meet Aubrey. Like it wasn't about, I got to meet some celebrity. I got to, you're working, you're, you're meeting with people. You're, you know, it's, it's, it, it, and I, I said, not, not meeting with people, meaning the fun side of somehow, like there's some celebrities you're, you're when, putting out fires all the time. You're in, and, and, but if I'm going to do what I do, you know, whatever, whatever the, the skills I might bring to the table, I sure would rather do it around sports and around my community than for me around making widgets. And, and uh, um, so, uh, but I think it is important for, especially for young people who I think they feel like working in sports is like, boy, I get to attend the game every day. And that's not really what it is. You, you and Roger are not having lunch while everything is just going on and happening. I mean, that's just, not... just a few days a week. <laughs> <laughs> Aubrey, what about you? Um, I would say the, the passion piece is key because I'm going to take that a different route. But in the sports industry, again, at the level that we're all working at, it's a 24-7 job. And so you have to constantly be on, whether that's on your cell phone, on email that is now also on your cell phone, um, Zoom calls, like now you have to look good for the camera, like add that to the, to the daily checklist. Um, you're constantly on and people sometimes forget about that. So you're, you're planning all these major national events and doing great things and having fun and and where that's where that passion comes in where you don't even realize you're working 14 hour days but the reality is that you are working 14 hour days and you have to give up certain aspects of your life to be able to have 
jobs like this that require so much of your time. So I would say that mental side of that is, is really a challenge um, that you have to step up to the plate every single day or else you're gonna get run over. And I would just add, I think you brought up something so important, Aubrey. If you're not passionate about what you do, you're going to start resenting the 14-hour days. But if you really love it, 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 makes it, it makes it more palatable for sure. It just becomes integrated into your day, right? And, you know, we, we had an episode with Brian Bolton talking about integration and, and how do you just work it into your life, right, at that, at that point, Um so very interesting, great perspectives from both of you. Uh, Want to thank you for your time. And any last words for our listeners as they think about, um, you know, how do they how do they watch the draft differently? What is there something that you would, uh, Aubrey, say? Hey, look for this next time you watch it in April. Ooh, good question. Um, I wouldn't say there's anything that's like hidden. Um. I would just say, look for the unique aspects that our broadcasting team brings to the table through a TV screen. So like you're seeing Bill Belichick's dog sitting at the table and you're like, wow, that's cool. That's Bill Belichick's dog. I never would have seen his dog before on national TV during the NFL draft. So I think it's cool integrations like that, that sometimes are even unplanned, but I mean, now the draft is it's about the prospects in football, number one, but now we have music. Now we have a huge community behind us that we have a plethora of programs that we do to, to increase community awareness and integration. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a ton that you don't see on TV. So doing your research, connecting with people that have been through it, who have jobs that you wanna have, um, creating those mentorships with people that have been in roles that you want all of that plays into the success of the draft and success of future job careers and career growth. I'm, I'm sitting there going, man, that seamstress is really fast, really good. <laughs> right. I, it is amazing. I've tried, you know, only seeing it, you know, I from a, from a, a, a different angle. It is to me, the coolest event I've ever been around because it is, it's they, it, it, nobody else takes an event and integrates it with a community. And it's sort of part traveling football Mardi Gras and part three ring circus and, and, and all, you know, it's, it's amazing because it's not in an arena. It's not in a facility. It's, it is all built from scratch. And it's fascinating to watch the NFL do that and, and have it take on so well the personality of each community in which it's held. No doubt. Aubrey, David, appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of our Sports ETA series and certainly welcome back on uh, again in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Jake, for having us. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by BrainFuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com with the code LIFO15, L-I-F-O-1-5 at checkout. And a reminder to get your copy of LOL, Loss of Logo, What's Your Next Move? 
our new book written by Andy Dolich and your host, Jake Hirschman. If you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.